Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, good evening and welcome to Facebook Live. We're Oikos Ministries, and every week we have a teaching that we broadcast on Facebook, and then we load it onto our website at www.housechurchesusa.com. And we broadcast it out from there and many other venues and avenues. And so if you're all about digital and that kind of stuff, uh, we're trying to do our best to be uh, digital and uh, getting this word out in every medium that we can. So we've been going through the book of Ephesians and uh, we've just had a couple of sessions so far now as we've started this new study. If you've missed any of it, like I said, you can catch up with it at www.housechurchesusa and uh, just log on there and you can get any of our teachings there. There's a whole library of things and I pray that it'll bless you. So without further ado, we'll jump right into the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter one and uh, it's, you know, as a, as a teacher, uh, when you when you start dealing with Ephesians, this is a, a, a powerful book. Almost every word is latent with uh, all kinds of power and the ability to, uh, to there's just so many things that could preach off of it or teach off of it. And uh, the Apostle Paul in, in his teaching here, and, and maybe the translators, I don't know, but the, for the first seven verses of Ephesians, was, uh, there was 89 words in one sentence. And so these are run-on sentences, and it's uh, a little hard to break, but uh, we, we get to it. But uh, we've, we've covered those pretty well. And in tonight, we'll just pick up in verse uh, verse 7, but let, let me read the, the whole thing in context. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace, From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him also, uh, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Well, I read a little extra tonight because I wanted to get that last passage in 
because it marries up or it agrees with its part of what we'll be talking about in verse seven. It jumps right into the message that I, I, want, I believe the Lord has for us tonight. In verse seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, that's a powerful, power-packed, hard-hitting message right there. In him, we've uh, studied that much, we've talked about that much, about in him, all the promises of God, in him are yes, and in him, amen. <clears throat> we've dealt with this, Christ in you is our hope of glory. Last week, we really highlighted the idea that Ephesians chapter 5 tells us, uh, or it actually in a quote, direct quote from what God told Adam and Eve, uh, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. And so the covenant of marriage, the Bible says the two become one. We also looked at John chapter 17, and I might want to just uh, brush that up again a little bit tonight before we jump into the meat of this message. John 17, in verse 20, he says, now this is a prayer of Jesus. He's praying and praying for his disciples, and he switches prayers and says, or he switches uh, the target of his prayer and says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that would be us. I believe in Jesus because of the word of the disciples that, w that was carefully recorded and perfectly preserved in the Bible. <clears throat> that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me now and, and the glory which you gave me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. And so Jesus is, uh, is praying and, he, and, and in his prayer, he, he really reveals something to us in his relationship to God, that God was in him and he was in God. And he also prayed that he said, I'm in my disciples and they're in me. And also for us who believe in their word, that we too could have that unity of, that God is in us and we're in God. It's a covenant relationship. And I think it's very important that we understood that, that the oneness that Jesus prayed for isn't some kind of ecumenical unity that we're all supposed to get together and, and sing Kumbaya with everybody who believes anything. And I, I just don't believe in that. I just don't agree with that at all. What it, what the, it, but I am willing to do is everybody who has been made one with God in Christ Jesus, who has entered the new birth and are in covenant with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Man, I am in perfect unity and fellowship with anyone who has come into that uh, place of the new birth and in and their place as adoption of sons into the body of Christ. Man, let's fellowship. I am all in. And so he says, in him, <clears throat> this is the covenant relationship we spoke of very carefully last week. But to move on, it because it starts it again, it says in verse 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. This is a powerful thing, and I, I don't think many of us really understand it. I, <clears throat> it's not spoken of as much anymore. Uh, I've, I've grieved many times for the lack of understanding about the blood of Jesus Christ, that the blood is it, it's, it's spoken of in passing, but I don't think many folks have a, a handle on that or a good understanding of that. And I would truly, truly like to uh, uh, 
help that along tonight with the word of God. So in him, we have redemption through his blood in Jesus Christ. When we've been made one with Jesus Christ, we have redemption, which means to ransom at a price. It means to liberate someone and set them free with a purchase price. This is an awesome understanding. And if you've ever watched one of those action movies where uh, somebody pays the ransom or somebody is kidnapped and held for ransom and, and then you they pay the ransom or they rescue the person. Well, in our case, Jesus Christ paid that ransom with his own blood. I want to tell you from my earliest time of my believing, uh, when I was a little child, I, I, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and I, I've never known a time that I didn't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I always believed in that. <clears throat> I can't remember consciously anybody ever just training me on that or whatever, but I absolutely believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We, we, we recited the creeds all the time, so I understood that part, but I never understood why Jesus died. I understood that he did die, but I did not comprehend why he died. As a matter of fact, I used to sit in the Catholic church as a little child and I would look at the cross and I'd say, why did he die? I thought it was such a terrible thing because, you know, there's Jesus on a crucifix behind the altar of every Catholic church. And, uh, and I would just really just be grieved that everything I knew about Jesus was good, but he died. And they kill him in a horrible way. And I think, why did Jesus die? I never could put those two and two together. It was never taught or explained. You just went through that ritual. And I guess you were supposed to just figure it out. Well, anyway, so fast forward. When I got saved, when I was in, in the process of the new birth, the Holy Spirit had me under very deep conviction. I was under such a brokenness. And I, I prayed uh, one night at a uh, revival altar call. I prayed the sinner's prayer, just like most people in modern churches do these days. And I can tell you what happened to me that night. That night, I mean, I don't think I was saved. I believe I prayed a prayer. I, I believe it was a genuine, sincere prayer. I was just led and told what to do. And I followed and parroted it just like I was supposed to. But afterwards, God put this vision in my heart and mind about the crucified face of Jesus. And it came back to me, and I, I, I never put two and two together until later, that as a little child, I always asked, why did he die? But here I was asking again, I could see Jesus bloodied and beaten, his crucified face, and I said, why did he die? And I would tell you, God revealed that to me one day at work, while I sit in my crane, why did Jesus die? And he just revealed it in my spirit. He said, Jesus took what you deserve. And boy, it just literally broke my heart that everything rotten that I'd ever done, <clears throat> I did it to Jesus and he died. And now I'm starting to understand that he took my place in death. But again, there's another why that comes up. In him, we have redemption. <clears throat> he paid the ransom. We were being held captive by the devil. We were captive in our sins. 
We were captive and bound uh, by the, the demonic forces that addicted us and chained us to a sin. And, and, and I want to tell you, whenever he had mercy on us, those shackles break free. He liberated. He paid the price. He paid the ransom full and free. Now, let me tell you uh, the, the why. Let's begin to build on why he had to do that. If we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, I think around the 15th and 16th verses, God told Adam, he put him in the middle of the garden and there was a tree in the midst of the garden. He said, every tree in this garden you can eat from Adam, but the tree that's in the midst of the garden you shall not eat. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, it's very significant here that when we look and see that the first mention of death in the Bible is associated with the idea that if you sin against God, if you disobey God, it's a sin and you will die. There's a death penalty. Now we know that Eve ate and Adam ate and they, they, their eyes were open. They knew good from evil and they covered their nakedness. We know all that, but we, we why did their physical body keep going? You see, they died spiritually instantly. The death inside, the spiritual man died. And all that was left is a soul, a mind, an emotion, a will embodied in flesh that would on a ticking clock. Now it had an expiration that the flesh would eventually die. We still ask the question, well, why would God say such a thing? I think to understand that would have to even go even further. We, you see, there's one thing that makes me understand this, this idea of, of, um, of blood to cover sin. And it's a very misunderstood thing now. It's the holiness of God. God's holiness requires that when a sin is committed, blood must be shed. Now, this is a, 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 a almost an untouched subject nowadays. We just say, we hear people in the charismatic circles, I plead the blood and we say things about the blood or sing songs about the blood. I'm always fascinated about these old writers that they had such a grip and such a handle on the, the efficacy of the blood of Christ where today we don't really understand it. We've not studied our Bibles to understand the power of the blood. Now those great old songs associated with the blood of Jesus. And now it's not spoken of too much. I heard one preacher say in a blasphemous tone, he said, don't nobody want to hear nothing about no blood of Jesus. And I, I, I just grieved. That guy died in a tragic plane crash. And I, I think, you know what? Uh, maybe it was because of that very statement. It's a terrible thing. I don't care if you want to hear about it or not. You need to know about the blood of Jesus. I mean, we're a society that's so filled with blood, but we don't want to talk about the blood that has power to free you. The blood that has power to heal you. We don't understand it. In the book of Leviticus, in the 17th chapter, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. That's exactly what uh, Leviticus 17 says. Now, it's amazing. The life, you know, when we start thinking about the life of the flesh, it's in the bloodstream. It's housed in our circulatory system that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it upon the altar 
to make atonement for the soul and in order to, to pay for the atoning of our soul, the payment for our souls. This is what that means. Literally, the propitiation, the payment for our soul. Again, why does God require such a thing? The only reason we could ever put any understanding of that is God is so perfectly, impeccably set apart, holy, that the idea of any uh, uh, transgression, any sin, separates us from him and the only one what God required it we don't may not ever understand why God required it but he required that when a sin was committed the blood had to be shed the sinner's blood had to be shed and the sinning blood could not atone it could not satisfy God. It may it may uh, stave off his judgments for some season, and he he let he allowed substitutes in the Old Testament uh, as he dealt with Israel uh, for all those years. He dealt with them, and he allowed them to take substitutes, and they would kill a bull or a goat or a sheep or a lamb, and they would kill a, a, a pigeon, and they would pay for their sins in the prescribed blood that was required. You see, and almost all things by the law are purged with blood. It, it required the righteous requirements of the law meant that blood had to be shed. And so when we talk about the works of the law, it would totally be in the idea of us shedding blood to atone for our own sins to try to make ourselves right with God. Now that's what the right, that would be the works of the law. Uh, so it's foolishness to think that, 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 it, you know, the works of the law are just trying to be obedient and keep command. That's not the works of the law. The work of the law had everything to do with the righteous requirement because sin makes us unclean before God and ceremonially un unable to approach God. We could not approach Him. They could not approach Him unless blood was shed. And without the shedding of blood, there was no remission. This is a powerful thing we have to understand. When we consider the blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The key to a, a healthy, vigorous, a vigorous body is that we would have a, a clean supply of blood that's fully oxygenated with the breath of life, the breath of God in our bloodstream, bringing out uh, life-giving oxygen to every fiber in our being, as far as our capillaries will let it, then that is health, that is healing, that is the living virtue. The life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it upon the altar. Now look at there. He gave the blood on the altar to make the atonement for our souls. And now we start looking at the soul and we have such a mouthful, the life, the spiritual life of the flesh, the heart pumping Life, the heart is pumping life through our body and our, to make atonement for the soul, the mind. The, um, it seems that the soul of man is housed in the bloodstream as well. And this is just carried out and lived out in a, in a physical body, our soma, this meat we live in. And so he said, I've given it upon the altar. Now it used to be they gave blood of bulls and goats. But now they've given us the blood of Jesus. Come on, man. The innocent blood who never sinned. 
No, I mean the sinless, spotless blood that brought us back to the way it was in creation. Adam was sinless before God. He was perfect before God. There was nothing wrong with him. He was alive with no mention of death whatsoever. But in the day that he sinned, he was separated from God. And this whole thing we see today begin to unfold. It's almost like a little hole was pierced, poked into the pristine environment of this earth. And all of a sudden from the second heaven where the devil lives, he began to just invade this pristine earth with sickness, disease, every incipient death going. The life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. I will make a payment for your soul. He allowed us to make those payments before, but now God himself stepped in and he allowed his son to die in our place to make the ultimate atonement at the cross of Jesus. He is the propitiation. He is the payment. He literally paid my ransom full and free and the shackles are loose and there is no one who owns me. He is the purchase price. Christ himself is what God valued me at. He paid for me with the death of his son. This is a powerful thing to know and a powerful thing to understand. We have to get this in our spirit. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Now, through that word is interesting. It's the, you know, we, we look at uh, uh, the Greek word would be dia, D-I-A, uh, dia, like a, a the diameter would be the right through the cross cut. It'd be a cross. And so the through means the channel of the act. We have to go through the redemption. We have redemption through his blood. We have to go through this. I counsel people all the time. I no longer say the sinner's prayer with people. I counsel people all the time and tell them you have to seek God, pursue him until you go through the cross. You have to go through the cross. And that embodies everything the cross is about. This is the ultimate altar where God, God himself made sacrifice and shed the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It, it, God was pleased to do that. He has put him to grief. He has seen the suffering of his soul and was satisfied. It satisfied God to see his son die. This and only that appeased the wrath of God against the sins of man. It's the only thing that ever satisfied him concerning the relationship with men to God. He saw his suffering servant. It was pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, he looked on him and was satisfied. Folks, we need to get that in our hearts and minds that God, the, the debt that you and I owe, the ransom price that the devil held us captive by his own will. He held us in torment and shackles. He held us in sin and in bondage and demons uh, could hold us at will. But God paid the ransom full and free. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And as we go through the blood of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you the ransom price is paid and the those captors, those who held us captive can no longer hold us anymore. God has set us free.
It is the full liberation. Hear me carefully. It is the liberation of the soul. The blood of Jesus is that liberation. Now look carefully what it says. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is an unusual passage. When we think of sin, I mean, there's, there, there's, you know, immediately I think of the harmatology or the idea of, of, you know, the, the Bible says sin means to miss the mark. When you look at the idea of this one and this, this particular word used here for sin, it tones it down. It's not the same word you usually see for sin. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It almost, it, it has the connotation. I, I wrote them down because I'm, I'm really embarrassed to say I wasn't as familiar with this one as I usually am with others. It means, um, to fall by the wayside. To let go, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, I switched sentences. To fall by the wayside, fault, a lapse, an error, a mistake, a wrongdoing, a softer word for sin, seemingly an unintentional type sin. Now, we could go to other verses right now that I can tell you emphatically, and we will in just a minute, as a matter of fact, emphatically use this word redemption and sin in the same sentence. But for some reason, the Apostle Paul chose to use a softer term here uh, for the word sin. And that's okay. I, I mean, I think it's still a coverage of all of it. I think he's talking to people on this side of the cross when we we were just really recapping the idea. You know, if we're on the other side of the the unsaved side of the cross, we need a, the, the full bore. We need the full blown understanding of the gross heaviness and the the terrible issue of sin. Now, on this side of the cross, I I, I think. There's a whole different because, I mean, on this side of the cross, we're not just willful sinners running around sinning all the time. Praise God. Uh, there is the unintentional or the lapse or that can take place or a falling by the way. That can happen. But folks, let me tell you, uh, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus is a wonderful thing. Look, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Let me tell you, we, we, we call on God all the time. Lord, forgive me. But we don't really understand what backs that up. Lord, forgive me. The forgiveness of sin. I just gave you a, a, a pretty good lesson right there, a, a pretty long drawn out lesson right there about redemption and the, making the atonement for the soul, the, the efficacy of the blood, what it takes that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And we just fling it out there. God, forgive me. I think until the understanding of that redemption of the purchase possession, until we understand what it costs God to forgive you, I, I think I think once we understand, if we look at someone we've wronged and we see <clears throat> with empathy, we see with sympathy, we look on them with brokenness and say, I hurt you. That's what we should. It's amazing to me when I see people who hurt someone else who don't even care. They don't really care. It, it, they, all they're worried about is their own thing. I'm like, God, it's so foreign to me. When you've hurt someone, I mean, come on, man. Don't you care? But we've hurt God and we seem to not even care. We just want him to blanket forgive us so we can go to heaven way in the future while we still live really uh, uh, 
frivolous and footloose and fancy free and silly and really sinful. Help us, Lord. Forgiveness. In him we have the redemption. In Christ Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, when you understand that we have to go through the blood to get this forgiveness, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness, everybody wants us. God gave us repentance for the remission of sins. And he, he, he really expects that when we've sinned against him or others, that we repent. We change not to do that. We don't want to live like that anymore. That's what repentance is. It's change. And it, look, the power of the blood. Can, let's just draw a picture here. Because, you know, in this generation, we really love our pets. I know we, I used to not. I used to not be a pet lover. I used to really just get irritated when somebody had a, a house animal. Now I'm a sucker. I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally ruled by pets. I have tons of them. And I, it's really weird. I've, I've gone through a transformation there. Uh, and they all, I, I'm really their servant, to be honest. With, but anyway, let's just get to it. Could you imagine taking your pet and killing it because you had done wrong? The reality of that with so many people, I, you see, I would say something about a human being right now, but people don't really care about humans. Uh, oh, yeah, they're dead. That's no big deal. You, my dog? Dear God. My cat? Oh, my goodness. We, we're so attached to that. We have such a clarity. About it. Let me just use that example. Could you imagine putting your dog on an altar and killing it? Not to mention your child. Think it through. God put his son on the altar of the cross. God let the full fury of his wrath be poured out on Jesus. Everything that God wanted to do to, to his creation because of what we've done against him, how we have offended him, how we have betrayed our creator and perverted the creation he poured his fury out on his son. It got so intense that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the only time in his life, he felt abandoned by God. As God allowed the sins of the entire world, the sickness, the disease, all the uncleanness of the entire world, every human being that's ever been, billions and billions of people, all of that in one moment of time was placed on Jesus. The weight of his flesh on those nails was nothing compared to the heaviness that he realized in a moment of time. And we flippantly say, forgive me. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, every time we go to God to make a repair and a breach in the covenant where we've wronged him, it means we have to go through the blood. I like what the Apostle Peter said in his epistle. He said, we've come to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. 
I mean, we come through the altar of the cross. It's his blood was poured out, poured out. But when we come to this side of the cross, that's why I think there's a lighter word for sin here, because we're not active outward, just gross sinners. We, we may slip, but we're not active sinners, folks. Please. I, I, if you're just a, a, a outward, a habitual practicing sinner, you're not a Christian. You're not born again. Help us, Lord. We have redemption in him. In that covenant with him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Boy, it's so powerful. According to the riches of his grace. Come on, boy. According, in keeping with, in one accord with, in accordance with the riches of his grace. All the wealth, the value, the plenty, the abounding, the overflow of the riches of God's grace. Oh boy. You see, there's another thought that will come in. We'll talk of this in a few weeks from now, but it says, uh, uh, by grace are we saved through faith. That's not of yourselves, a gift of God, lest any man should boast. By grace are we saved through faith. Through, there's that channel of the act again. By the means of grace, we're saved through faith. And so by faith in his blood. See, the grace of God, it literally is the word, it's a word gift. Charis, where we get the word charismatic from. It's about the gift. God gave us this unspeakable gift. He gave us the gift of his son. He gave his son to make a, a repair, a reconciliation through the redemption in his blood. He reconciled us to God that now we have a, we can go right back with bonus even. We can go to God and say, Hey, father, we can go to God. We can talk. Everything I have is his, but everything he has is mine. Wonderful things to know that, that we're in covenant with a, with God almighty and that we now can go to him with boldness that the, this is Part of the thing, when people talk about liberty, there's, he, he didn't liberate you so you can drink or smoke or dip or what. He didn't, that ain't the liberty. The liberty is that now you can behold him face to face. That's the liberation we have in Christ Jesus. He took away our sin. He cleansed us by his blood. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. It's abounding. This grace is abounding. God is just pouring the gifts on us. He's just pouring out what he wants to do with those who by faith. You see, the difference now, folks, in between the love, what I started the point I was starting to make about you killing your own dog. You know, the difference now is that used to be we take a blood of bulls or goats or heifer, what you know, whatever the prescribed offering was, whatever we had done, you killed it yourself, right? And yeah, that's tragic. We killed an animal. But now we look at the fact that God let his son die in your place. Folks, lots of you out there know that. I knew that all of my life but I was 23 years old 
before God revealed that in my spirit. The revelation of that changed me. Not the knowledge of that. The knowledge of that did not change me. I knew the historical facts that Jesus Christ died on the cross, buried and on the third. I knew those facts, but I did, I did not have the right. When the revelation came that Jesus took my place on the cross, that what Jesus got, I deserved, then my heart broke. You know, the psalmist said, I think in Psalm 115, 16, 115 or 116, somewhere in there, it says, I love you because you heard me. I want to tell you tonight, man, I love him because he heard me in that desperation. When I cried out to him in the desperate place of a sinner going down for the third time, I was going, I was, I was dying in my sin and God heard me and he saved me and he pulled me out of my miry clay. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You see, now the relationship with God is one of love. God loved me so much. He let Jesus die in my place. Boy, that's the game changer. That's the game changer. When your relationship with God gets there, that's what changes everything. We don't do things because we have to. We get to do. We do things because we get to. I can't wait. You, I got to go to church. I don't got to do. I get to go to church. I can't wait to be with others who've had this same relationship with Jesus. I can't wait to share and hear what God is doing in someone else. Come on. There's a couple more passages I want to share. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. It's going to take me like a century to get through the book of Ephesians, but we're not in a rush. I'd just rather have these words, man. This Romans chapter 3. Verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. You know, Moses saw the bush burning. There was that bush on fire, but it was not consumed. And he said, let me turn aside and see this great sight. And when he approached the bush, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Moses was in the very presence of God. Quickly, he took those shoes off and stood there. Barefoot on the holy ground. I like that verse from Keith Green's song. Barefoot on the holy ground. God called to him. Later, God told him, Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. You see, there's this. There's this association with the glory of God and his holiness. I want you to see that. When Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. You're standing on holy ground. I want to see your glory. You see, the glory of God is totally associated with just how impeccably holy he is. And there in the presence of God, God hid him in a cleft of a rock sometime later. And he's, he passed by and said, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and merciful, showing kindness and loving kindness, 
God began to reveal his glory. He wouldn't let Moses see his face. He just let him see his back parts. And the glory of God was so overwhelming that Moses shone like he'd been in a radiation of some sort. He was, he was shining with the glory of God. He had to hide his face. The people were afraid because he had been in the presence of God. Oh, somebody ought to start shining in the presence of God right now. Somebody ought to get the glow of God on them because now he's allowed us with open face to behold his glory because of what his son did for us. <clears throat> Show us your glory, Lord. And he said, the glory, Jesus' prayer in John 17, the glory which I had with you before the world began, now they can have it. He's giving us his glory. Oh, this is, if we only understood what the blood did for us. The blood. We have the redemption that is in Christ Jesus through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace for all of sin and fall short of the glory. Sin literally just takes away every glory that man ever had from God. And look what it says. What, look what it goes on to say. Say, excuse me. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, you'll never get grace until you go through the blood. It's in the blood where we get the gift of grace. It's in the blood where the grace comes. It's in the washing. He, he loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 1.5. He loves you and he washes you from your sins in his own blood. Folks, if this has not impacted you to the degree where you're just like, I hate me. I hate my sin. I don't want to ever do that again. I hate what I've done against God. You, you see, you're only sorry for yourself unless you're sorry because you killed Jesus. Your sins separated you from God. You see, we're all worried about the consequence and repercussion of sins and what it, what, what it might do here. It might have do. Man, what you need to understand is what it did between you and God. Separated you from God. And the reconciliation, the repair, the atoning victim, the vicar, the substitute price that was paid. He paid the ransom full and free. He paid the debt and liberated you. What a gift. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. When I was a kid, my mama used to save them old S&H green stamps. And I, I'm talking to the old folks right now because you young people, hey, what are your green stamps? S&H green stamps. Man, we had a book full of them. You put them stamps in there when you you could go and redeem your gifts if you had enough stamps. So, boy, we'd be watching that book and we'd look in that thing and see just what. Oh, we could get this, mama. We could get this, mama. But you understand something. When Jesus Christ redeemed you through his blood, the gift of his grace is the riches of heaven poured into your own soul. Turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 1. Really a companion book to Ephesians. Very similar in content. Book of Colossians chapter 1. 
the 14th verse says, <clears throat> in, excuse me, I'm going to back up and read from verse 12. Since tomorrow's Thanksgiving, this is a good start. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And now these verses that I'm showing you tonight are showing you one after another that the redemption in his blood is what gives us the legal right to have our sin forgiven. It is the, it's literally the legalities of heaven. Don't call me legalistic. I'm telling you there is legal issues in heaven that have to be satisfied. And this is it, that the blood of Jesus was required to appease the wrath of God against the sins of man. And so the legal issue is that, and what enforce it, what, what causes that to be in effect, you see, it's been there. Grace has been standing on that hill 2000 years. That was the gift of God, the blood. Now, <clears throat> only through faith can you go through this and faith pulls that in and appropriates the work in a po it appropriate, appropriates the atoning work into yourself. And you see, faith pulls this right into your heart. Like the woman touching the hem of his garment. If I can just touch, I know I'll be made whole. When we get a hold of this by faith, it pulls us into us. And we have this powerful forgiveness. I mean, uh, all of a sudden we in the, in the spirit hear the gavel fall in the courts of heaven. And we hear the resounding, not guilty. Free, who set free? Turn me to Rome, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Talk about the chapter of the blood. This is it. We'll start reading in verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Now, let me stop right there just for a second. Now, if you, you go back and read this, uh, starting around verse chapter 7 and 8, he begins to talk about the, the, the Old Testament tabernacle and temple and the priestly duties and the work and how how the whole ritual was prescribed. And so he shows that. And then he says, but now Christ has come as a high priest. Never mind the temple. Never mind all the building. Never mind all. Just quit. As a matter of fact, in chapter eight, verse one or two or somewhere in there, it says if Christ were, a, were to, right now, he would not be a priest on there. He would not serve the tabernacle. He wouldn't do it. That's what it says in Hebrews eight. He would not serve the tabernacle. Yet that's about all we do is serve the building. Well, if we could see that there's something so much more powerful to serve here. Watch carefully. Not with the blood of, of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. This is one of the major reasons why I will not be a Roman Catholic any longer. They mimic the death. As a matter of fact, they believe in their heart the sacrifice of the mass, the reenactment of the mass is to kill Jesus every time they do the mass. 
And the Lord accept this sacrifice of our hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. Yeah, I was there, folks. And I'm telling you, that is the beginning of the sacrifice of the man. And they literally believe it turns into the literal physical body and the physical blood of Jesus. And they eat his body and drink his blood in a cannibalistic uh, ritual where they believe they've actually re-killed Jesus. Uh, and, and I mean, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands times a day across the globe to serve uh, 2.2 billion Roman Catholics. They reenact killing Jesus over and over again. My Bible says Jesus died once for all. One time. One time. Look at it. Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Look at that. Eternal redemption. He has he has obtain an eternal redemption. Hear that carefully. What, what is redemption? It's the ransom payment. He has obtained. Eter- this is an eternal sacrifice. He did it once. That's all he needs to do it. We do not need to kill Jesus two and three times uh, again. Let me tell you something. When Moses had the children of Israel in the wilderness, uh, remember one time God told him to strike the rock and he smoked the rock and water came right out of the rock. Well, they came to that place again and they were thirsty and the people were complaining and Moses was pretty mad at the people. And God told Moses, speak to the rock. You know what Moses did? He struck the rock again. Well, the water came out. But let me tell you something that cost Moses his entry into the promised land. Because of that right there, he couldn't go in. You say, what's the big deal? He didn't speak it. He hid it. He'd been told, hey, you do what God says, dude. We don't worry about what the big deal is. Because you know what? The rock has been smitten once. Don't smite him again. Quit smiting Jesus. Quit trotting underfoot the blood of Jesus. Quit walking on this like you, you, you like, like it's an unholy thing. You're doing a, an insult to the spirit of grace when you do such a thing. Keep reading. For if the blood of bulls, goats, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Boy, there's enough there to shout for a while. Hallelujah. He has, through his own blood, he obtained eternal redemption. The price was paid. It's set. This is a satisfaction of God. Let me tell you, you can draw on that blood at any time and by faith, pull this right into your own spirit. What Christ has done, he did it once and it was enough. Wow. Now, part two of this is going to be a little shorter. Won't take me long. Let's go back to Ephesians. There is another part to this redemption and I just want to show it to you. See, Every verse I've showed you tonight, the redemption through his blood had everything to do with the forgiveness of his of our sins. Now watch carefully what this says. That's why I read this context a little longer tonight. Ephesians 1 verse 13 in him in Jesus. Notice he keeps saying in him. You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Wait a minute. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. You see, in my understanding, redemption is the payment for us, that God literally possessed us. He bought us with a price. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God paid the ransom for you. He bought you out of your your sin. He actually bought you out of hell. Now you're his. I'm his. He's mine. What a wonderful thing. This is all still doing with now. But wait, now he's saying something a little different here. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Turn me to Romans 8. In verse 16, we read. Now, I was dealing with this last week, so I'm going to read it and go through it a little quickly. Uh, Actually, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we we dealt with that last week and had some really good results from that ministry or from that teaching last week. And people are really latching on to the, the, the reels and stuff we made about it. But he said, we've. We have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature of of the creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also also will be delivered from the bondage of of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Boy, this is a mouthful. God the Creator subjected us to futility in a temporal body, in a temporal earth even. But all of creation is crying out for the Creator to put the crowning jewel on what He's done. If you're in agreement with the Creator, if you have been reconciled to Him, you too are longing to be with Him. Not by faith. You're not, you say, I want this done. I don't want to just walk by faith. I want to embrace you in verity. I want to be where you are. That's why death don't have the same effect on a Christian. The fear of death should be not even, it should be non-existent in the Christian. Come on. Shout out there, somebody. Look, stay with me. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Wow. The redemption of our body. Folks, this is a little bit different from the redemption from our sin. You see, we're talking about the redemption of our body. Let me tell you what, folks. The redemption of our sins 
and the fullness of the Holy Ghost are the down payment on your resurrection from the dead where you get a body that raises up out of the dead and literally will live forever. We're talking resurrection power. <coughs> the redemption <coughs> of the purchased possession. Excuse me, I got up uh, excited and <coughs> choked on him. <coughs> Excuse me. I hope, you, I hope you see this. Look at carefully again. <coughs> the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Folks, I want to tell you the, <coughs> the redemption of our body is the resurrection from the dead. This is the greatest event that will ever take place in human history. The, re the resurrection <coughs> of the ransomed, of the redeemed, of the purchased possession. When God comes and glorifies his people, Jesus stood <coughs> just before he went to the cross and he said, Father, what should I say? Should I pray, save me from this hour? No, I came because I came to the world for this hour. Father, glorify yourself. And he said, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And you hear me carefully. There is a glory God gets from us as we walk by faith in this land. But let me tell you, there's a greater glory. He is going to pour out a glory in us when he raises those that he ransomed from the dead. Come on. He will be so glorified that all are going to stand there. All those who murdered the prophets, all those who murder and all have tormented and, and persecuted the church of God. Let me just tell you, God is going to get his satisfaction when he says, come up here. Stand up on your feet. Rise up, man. God is going to raise us from the dead. You ought to be shouting right now. The redemption of the body. Woo. The purchase, the redemption of the purchased possession, the ransomed shall stand again. Let me tell you what, you might have a feeble body. You might be sick, tired. You might have something going on. Let me tell you, we all go through the way of the world. And the aging process takes its shape. But let me tell you, there's a place coming where we're going to raise from the dead in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. And I want to tell you, this mortality will put on immortality. This uh, this corruption will put on incorruption. And then we're going to cry out, death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through the redemption in Christ Jesus. This is redemption. This is life. Well, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, so you ought to have something to be thankful about. Praise Him. God bless you. Have a great week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's Word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.